Well, good morning. Just a few days till Christmas. Um, so I wanted to uh, just take a minute here, and I had a bunch of cards. I was going to read some of them, but um, just for time, I'll just explain. Many of you have been giving gifts and different things for the angel tree and uh, for different uh, families around our community and our church that, that uh, want to help out uh, kids have a good Christmas, things like that. And angel tree is specifically for um, children that, that uh, one of their parents is incarcerated. And so we, we started getting some cards over the last couple of weeks about this, and it was pretty encouraging, um, actually really encouraging to hear the way that they were saying thank you for this. In fact, one of the fathers said uh, something along the lines of that uh, it, it probably appears to some people like you're taking up the slack for a deadbeat dad that's in prison. He said, but I just want you to know that, yes, I, bad decisions got me here, but thank you for taking care of my kids during this time frame. And you could, you could tell it was, it was uh, pretty serious from a, from a father that was wishing he was with his kids at Christmas time. And so thank you for everybody that gave to that. We've had a lot of fun around here giving those gifts out. And um, there's just something about that. You know, there's something about being able to go and, and uh, connect with the kids and the families and things. And, and uh, so thank you for everybody that's, that's uh, given. Thank you for, for making that possible uh, for these kids. And then <clears throat> one other thing that I did want to mention, we had a meeting. Uh, we actually had two meetings these last two Thursdays in a row. We've had meetings with the uh, city city officials, and um, last week was the informal meeting, and uh, this week was the formal meeting, so I wore tux, but it is for the, the uh, commissioners, the county commissioners, to vote on, on um, <clears throat> whether or not we can be annexed and some other things, and so we had three items before them. One was our annexation into the city, the other is uh, zoning this property to what it needs to be zoned to, and then the third one is is a preliminary uh, proposal of our new building in the future, which is basically the plans that we have out there in the foyer on the wall. And uh, we went before the commissioners, and everything went smooth. It went fine. The, uh, they all voted that we could do this, and so we've already passed that hurdle. That's a major hurdle for us. We've been only waiting three years for. And uh, now, over the next two or three weeks, um, actually between now and the end of February, we have a couple more meetings. But the next one, I think, is in about three weeks that we go before the city council. And uh, first was the commissioners, is the city council, and then basically we do the same thing before the city council. And, uh, but it's looking good. We've already passed the commissioners, and that, that, uh, there, there most likely won't be any hiccups along the way as we get to this. So uh, by the end of February, we could be finished, finalized, annexed into the city, and uh, ready to build our building. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be awesome? It's a, it's a long time coming. They told us, some of you that have been around here, they told us it'd be six months, and uh, that was three years ago. So uh, we're there, though, and now it's just a matter of uh, a few million dollars, and we're right in there. We're in like Flint. So <clears throat> do you guys understand the term, we're in like Flint? Who understands what I'm saying when I say in like Flint? In like Flint? I explained this to my kids like 20 years ago. There was an old movie series with James Colburn that was Flint. He was a spy, and when you were in like Flint, you were good. Okay, so I don't know why. All right. So turn with Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be looking at gifts, Christmas gifts, all these kind of things uh, today. There's a lot of stuff that goes on with Christmas, a lot of the gift mentality, some of the stuff with gifts. And um, giving and receiving, I don't know about you, but when I'm a kid, I really liked receiving gifts. To me, it was all about receiving gifts when I was a kid and whatever gift you could get. And then... Um, then over time, as I got older and I became an adult, and then I had children, 
all these things changed, and there's something about giving gifts today. Receiving gifts is not anywhere near as cool as giving gifts, right? I mean, unless, you know, unless somebody walks up and hands me like a Ferrari and be like, hey, I'm, I'm a giving, I like give, being gived right now. But for the most part, I like giving, I like that. And, and even though my kids have been talking about, because they're old enough, they have money and they can actually buy real gifts and things like that. Uh, they've been talking about, oh, we got you this and we're excited. You can't wait till you open this. And I get excited about them giving me the gift, but it's not as much about the gift itself, right? It's about the, the, the connection of that. There's something about the, the giving process that I think is a spiritual thing. I think it's, I think it's, it's something that you can't really explain. You know, it's kind of like love. You, you, you can describe it from your point of view, but nobody's going to describe it exactly like you describe it. And, and, but we all kind of understand it. And it's the same thing. There's something about giving. There's something about watching somebody open that present. And there's something really cool about being able to, to uh, specifically give somebody that's a gift for them. You understand what I'm saying? Where, and I don't mean like you have a... a a party at work, a Christmas party, everybody's supposed to bring a gift, and, and then you exchange those gifts. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that you know this person, and you can't wait for them to get this gift because it's specifically for this person. There's something about that that's just, I, I think it's just really cool. There's, there's that feeling, that understanding, there's a, there's, a, there's a cognitive process here, there's a spiritual, there's an emotional, all this stuff is designed by the Lord. God created us this way. He designed us for this kind of thing. He designed us to, to connect in this way, to emote this way. He, he literally created us so that you get joy by giving somebody else something. That's obviously because it came from him. It came from his nature. It came from who he is. So we're going to look at the gifts back and forth. Um, you filled some things out. You put them in the boxes about um, what kind of gift, what would you give? What is, what is uh, giving in Christmas in Jesus to you? What is that how do you, what do you, would you like to give uh, to Jesus? So, so Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. <clears throat> this is the wise men are, um, the wise men have just met with Herod and they're about to go see Jesus, right? They've been traveling. They were from the east. They were from Asia, Asia Minor. Asia Minor in that time frame was like uh, Turkey over into uh, southern India and places like that was Asia Minor. Uh, maybe even from China, maybe even from up in uh, northern, more north in India. But these guys had been traveling for a while, and they had been looking for Jesus, and they had been studying. We, we talked about this some Wednesday night. They had been looking at the Scripture. They knew that Jesus was coming because they looked at the Scripture. And then when the star um, showed itself in the sky, that, that confirmed to them this is the time frame. But they had got most of this information from Scripture. In fact, Herod had got this information from Scripture. He, he had them look, and he knew that the Messiah, he believed that the Messiah was being born, but he, he uh, answered that with, with uh, evil. He answered it with a demonic uh, intentionality instead of the way the, the uh, wise men did, which was from a mentality of, we're going to go worship Jesus. And so this is where we come into the story. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, it says, After this interview with Herod, the wise men went their way, <clears throat> and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Isn't, isn't that an amazing thing? That, that not only did they have all the scriptures, but God actually gives them a star that actually shows them where Jesus is, leads them right to Bethlehem. They went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. There, you know other people saw this. This is one of those things that we, that we understand from scripture, but I don't, we, don't, we, don't under, we don't see it totally because we weren't there at the time. But other people saw this. There had to have been other people saying, what's that about? 
there's a star shining over Bethlehem. What is that about? It was, it was more than just the wise men seeing this. They followed this thing right to there. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests, and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I, I've gone over years past. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But the, each gift had a significance, gold to a king, um, the, the, um, the uh, spices for embalming, that kind of thing. These had very specific points to them, very specific reasons. They weren't just, um, let's give this kid some gifts. They, had very, they were very intentional. Now, this is interesting to me because what do you give the, the creator of everything? Now, we know that he was in human flesh, and Mary and Joseph didn't have a lot of money. They were, they were uh, tight at this time financially. We can see some, some of the details in the scripture there. And so the, I'm sure the gold went a, a, a nice long ways for them, and the spices they could sell, frankincense and myrrh, uh, quite a bit. In fact, what, uh, we, we had some, um, uh, some olive oil, anointing oil one time with, um, I think it was frankincense, and I know it smelled funny, and somebody had brought it from Israel or something. I don't know where you buy frankincense and myrrh. But this is, this is a very expensive commodity at that time frame. But it wasn't just about the, the price of this. There was, a, there was a bigger picture. These wise men are trying to do something. They're trying to connect, and they're trying to extol and, and worship Jesus in a way that would transcend that moment. These gifts were very significant. Now, here's the interesting thing to me. What do you give, not the baby Jesus, because you could give him quite a few things. Um, they could probably have used diapers during that time just as much as we use diapers now. But what do you give, not the baby Jesus, but what do you give the eternal king of everything? What do you give the transcendent one, the, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega? What do you give him? What kind of gift do you give him? This is, this is something that, again, if we stop long enough, we cognitively think through some of this, some things can kind of balance out naturally and and understand who we are, who Jesus is, what is Christmas about, all this stuff. And we just pause a little bit and, and process some of this. So, um, in looking at the gift mentality, we, we videoed some people around here about gift. What is your favorite gift? What is the favorite gift you ever got at Christmas? I, I wondered what Jesus' favorite gift was. Was it the gold? Was it the frankincense? Was it the, the cows nodding their head in time to the drummer boy? What was the favorite gift? that Jesus got at this time train. So we videoed some people around here. What is your favorite Christmas gift? I'm going to have to go with my purple Nike tennis shoes. They were so cool. I think I even slept in them. One of my favorite gifts growing up was a ghetto blaster that I received in 1985 in seventh grade. I was the talk of the town with that music. My favorite gift was an MP3 player. My favorite Christmas present all the time was a makeup doll head so I could do hair and put on their makeup. Christmas gift. My favorite Christmas gift this year is him. My favorite Christmas gift was a bicycle that my uncle got me when I was about 13 years old, three speed bicycle. It's amazing. My favorite Christmas gift was when my grandma made a whole bunch of doll clothes for my baby dolls and I got a crib set and they were all individually wrapped so I got like 15 presents that year and my brother only got three. That was the best Christmas. My favorite Christmas gift was a small mini arcade Pac-Man game and 
I remember I played with it for three days straight when I got it. Mine was the Barbie Dream House. I got it one year, probably when I was about 10. Absolute best thing ever. My wife, it's my favorite Christmas present because our anniversary is right after it. Best gift I ever gave to someone was I had my husband convinced he was getting a fishing pole. And so for weeks I kept talking about fishing lures and lines. And the morning of Christmas morning when he saw the box under the tree, it said Savage. And he said, hmm, I didn't know Savage made fishing poles. And I had bought him a shotgun. The best gift I got for Christmas was the big fat Art of Disney book. My motorcycle. Alright, so my favorite Christmas present was actually a box that a set of pajamas came in. It was pop-up all over the top, and so it had little Christmas trees and strawberry shortcake and all of her friends on the top of the box all popped up. So that was my favorite Christmas box. I think my favorite Christmas present was when my kids flew in from Missouri to visit me in Colorado. I just remember one year when I was, I don't know, maybe middle school, I got this chemistry kit from my mom for Christmas and played with it for a long time. When I was about eight years old, my parents got me a Mickey and Minnie cassette tape and I listened to the thing until it like just died. It got all worn out. In college, I took a photography class. So I was getting into photography and one year my parents bought me a really nice digital camera so that I could practice and get better at taking pictures. And I still use that camera to this day. So I would say that that was probably one of my favorite uh, Christmas gifts. My favorite Christmas gift was um, a bike, a BMX bike, that my brother and I got the same ones. And we each knew which was his and which was mine. And we went out in the snow and rode them around because that's what you do when you get a bike for Christmas. I got a radio um, alarm clock and it had a telephone on it. I love that gift. So when you're asking yourself, what is the best gift I've ever been given? That's not that easy. You, you come up with something because of something somebody says. You're like, oh, yeah. Oh, no, wait, that too. Oh, yeah. And you start processing. And then what you'll do is you'll also start processing the, the favorite gifts that you've given over the years. Oh, I love this. I love this. Lynn and I used to do this first, oh, probably 10, 15 years we were married. Every year I would convince her, don't, we don't need to give each other anything. You know, we got the babies, so let's get the stuff of the kids. And then I always go out and get her something right? So that I was in control there. So she owed me. So here's some things that Jesus gave to us, to them at the time, um, but also to us because it, it goes beyond um, a moment in time. But the stuff that Jesus has given us, and this is obviously it's a tiny little small list, but these are some pretty big things. The first one is that Jesus gives us peace. John 14, 27, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is the gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. It's not a world thing. You can't, you can't uh, uh, go to the Christmas tree and open a box and have peace. Somebody can't give you that. It's not a possibility. But it's one of the most important things for us as human beings. We, we seek for that. We strive for that. We need that. In fact, for Christmas Eve, I'm going to be showing you a little bit about peace. The statement, um, peace unto earth and goodwill to men, I, I want to address that statement, the idea of peace, and what does Jesus do when he gives us peace? Um, there's, in a way that you haven't thought about before. But, but here's something that is, is universal. It's, every one of us need this. We need peace. We need peace in our spirit. In fact, I would, I would say 
just in my short time on this earth, and I'm not even 50 yet, but this, this, what I've seen happening specifically over the last decade or so is that the more we strive, and I'm saying as a society, the more we strive for certain things, the more that peace becomes a casualty of that. And, and we're seeing this, we've, we've been talking about this um, around here quite a bit in different groups and leadership things, and, and uh, before Chaplain Brown left, we were talking about this, that this was pretty rampant out at, at Fort Carson right now, is, is uh, the mentality of suicide. That, uh, there's, that this is just gaining so much ground and so much momentum in our, in our city right now, and it's horrible. But there's, there's, there's something missing. There's, there's that peace. There's that inner peace that says, I, I'm, I, I'm good. I'm good with me. I'm good with now. I'm good with life. I, I'm okay. And the more we chase after certain things in, in financial situations, job situations, relationships, we sacrifice peace in the process. And Jesus says he wants us to have peace. In fact, one of the things I think would be beneficial to us, our youth group did this a few months ago. They took a time where they fasted all kinds of media, anything to do with media, from, from uh, Facebook, TV, any kind of uh, phones, any of that kind of stuff for an entire month. A lot of the teenagers did that. I was pretty surprised. I really didn't think they were going to make it. Uh, when I look around at society, you can't, you can't go anywhere, and somebody's not this the whole time. I had a guy almost run into me yesterday because he was look, he was on his phone and pick up and he just swerved right into my lane and then he jumps out and, and the whole time he's just looking at his phone. But they did this and they, they shut this stuff down. I would, I would suggest, specifically when there's a lot of pressure and anxieties and tension and stuff going on in your life, back away from things, back away from TV, back away from media. You don't have to be on Facebook every day. I, I, I've said this to people before and they're like, What? What do you mean you can't? You don't have to be on Facebook. You must be on Facebook. I didn't grow up with Facebook. I didn't know when the person next door to me was eating an egg for breakfast. I had no idea. We can back away from some of that stuff. And that, that's just one. We could do a lot of things. But that's just one thing to try to... The, the Holy Spirit has given us opportunities to interact with Him and let it be quiet and connected and all this kind of stuff, but we're too busy, we're too stuffed, too, too much influence, too much things. He gives us peace. He's given us the opportunity, but we've got to do something about it. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only, one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. The second gift that Jesus gives us, He gives us eternal life. And again, this is not something somebody else can give you. You can't get eternal life from anywhere else except Jesus Christ. You can't get peace from anywhere else except Jesus Christ. You can't open eternal life uh, under the Christmas tree. The most important things that we have, the Lord is providing into our life. He's giving us this stuff. And he gives us, literally, it's a gift. He doesn't have to do any of this stuff, but he does. He gives us this gift. The next thing is love. And the, the understanding of love in a, in a big picture, this is more than just some kind of feeling. It's more than a feeling, uh, to quote those poets of the 70s. It's more than a feeling. We, th this is something that we don't, we don't process sometimes, is that, that love from a human perspective is always a little tainted. It's always a little corrupted. Even, it's, even if it's the best that we can provide as a human, the best that we can connect with in love as a human, it's still tainted, it's still corrupted, it's still got some some problems with it, still got a slice of, of jealous, uh, selfishness in there, and there is, there is this um, limitation that we bring to the table when it comes to love. But all love comes from 
Jesus Christ. So the best way for us to step into love the way that we're supposed to experience and understand it is that when we put Jesus first and let his blood cover us, make us right with God, and then as we interact with people, it becomes much more pure. It becomes the way that God wants it to be. There's still, as human beings, we're still flawed, and there's always going to be that, that selfishness that's involved with, with love, the best that we can do. But when we allow the love to come from Jesus and for Jesus, it, it becomes a lot more what God intended it to be. God created love. He is love. And he makes us in his image to feel, understand, and connect, and to love, be loved, all that kind of stuff. So, so coming from the Lord, in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, look at the man. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. This is the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and said, what do I do? And Jesus said, uh, you, have you done the commandments? He said, yeah. And he said, well, then... Uh, let, me, let me give this one to you. And he, before he says anything, he looks at him and he feels genuine love for him. And then he says the most difficult thing this man is ever going to hear in his life. He says, there's still one thing that you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you are a treasure in heaven. Them and, then come and follow me. And the guy didn't do it. He walked away sad because he had a lot of stuff. This is, this is one of those moments that are... That, that's definitive for every single one of us in this room. You will come to this place. If you honestly come before Jesus, and I'm not saying some kind of topical Christianity that can be very common and very popular in America, but I'm saying you really come to the Lord and you say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to do what you've asked me to do. What do you want me to do? He's going to tell you something that's going to be challenging for you. Now, for this guy, was go sell your possessions, give the poor. That's not the same for every one of us. It's going to be different. But what, what he says to you is going to be the most challenging thing that you're going to have to do. And I personally believe, because it's happened to me, is this happens um, every now and then. You have to revisit this. You have to come to, to the Lord again and say, okay, Lord, I, 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 what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? What do you, because you go through times and seasons and changes and stuff, and the Lord is saying, okay, this is where you've come to now, and now I need you to, 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 to go this direction. And, and it's not necessarily a destination physically, but spiritually, emotionally. But here's the important thing is when the Lord looks at you and he says to you, whatever that is, this is what I need you to do, he's looking at you with deep compassion and genuine love. And he's not trying to hurt you. He, he definitely has. What's been, I've always I often thought about this. Anytime I read this, the same thing always comes to my mind. I wonder what stories would have been in the Bible about this rich young ruler if he would have done what Jesus said. I think he would have been included more. There would have been a story about him. There would have been something. There would have been a storyline that included him somewhere along the way. He may have been one of those followers that helped Jesus change things and do stuff. But either way, he chose not to. But when Jesus looked at him, he looks at him with, with genuine love. And he truly wants to help this guy. He knows what is best for this guy. Same thing with us. He knows what's best. He knows that it's going to be difficult, but he knows what's best for you. He truly loves love us, and this is a transcendent love. It's not temporary. It's not what, what makes him feel good. It's what is best for you in the process. He, he gives us love. This, the next thing is that he gives us mercy. This is, this is an interesting thing. We've got mercy and we've got grace. Those are not the same. The first thing he gives is mercy. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Now, you know I, I love that sentence. Tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Those are the people that Jesus hangs out with. So when, so when Jesus is like just, you know, sitting around drinking a cup of 
tea or whatever they drank back in those days. And he's sitting there, and uh, they say, so what are you doing tonight? I'm just hanging out with some disreputable sinners. Me and some disreputable sinners are going to go hang out. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, but this is, this is um, Matthew's way of, of trying to explain something that's bigger than just a moment. He's trying to say, look, Jesus is hanging out with the people that other people are rejecting. He's hanging out with people that the church is rejecting. He's hanging out with people that society would be pushing away. And then he said, but uh, then he goes on to say, but when the Pharisees, the church, saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Again, the church is asking Jesus why he's hanging out with scum. They can't even be nice about the way they're saying it. They can, and now, th- this is not near as bad nowadays. <clears throat> I've, seen a, I've seen a definite positive major transition uh, during my lifetime. When I was a kid in church, it was very common for the church to um, push, uh, push the disreputable sinners away. We didn't like them. They were the bad guys. They were evil. And so we would, we would push them away. We would ostracize, get them away from us kind of mentality. I, I really think the church has, has made some major, major steps forward. Huge steps forward in this. It's not the same thing as when I was a kid. People were mean. I, I, I would watch people address when somebody would walk into a church, if they had long hair, this was a big deal back in the late 70s, early 80s, okay? Nowadays, don't matter. My, my, my own son has a man bun. I don't know why. I thought he was a boy. But back in the day, if a guy walked in a church with long hair, I would watch people, board members and things like that in the church that would go and tell them they needed to come cut their hair and then they could come back. You say, that really happened? I'm serious, that really happened. I, Jesus is the exact opposite of this. And the church is saying you eat with scum. There's a church in downtown Denver. I've been to it a couple of times. The name of the church is uh, Scum of the Earth. Anybody ever heard of this church? Scum of the Earth Church in downtown Denver. I've been to it a couple of times. It's a, it's a little edgy. It's a little different. <laughs> it's not, it's, you know, I, it's different. So, but I, I really enjoyed the mentality and the attitude. It was started by a bunch of guys that used to be a uh, Christian ska band back in the day. And uh, they started this church. And the worship is like heavy metal, ska, that kind of... I mean, it really is. It's really different. And so, now I like ska, so, but either way, the, the, everybody there is like rough. But the cool thing is is they're being very intentional about the same kind of people that Jesus hung out with. This is something that nowadays in church in America, we seem to miss, is these are the people Jesus hung out with and the church rejects. It's the exact opposite. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I would like a big parenthetical statement there that says, and the Pharisees were very convicted and felt very horrible about what they said. But I don't think they were. That's the sad part. I don't think it affected them at all. And he said, sick people don't, I mean, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want to show you mercy. Not to offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. We are supposed to show mercy. We, we represent Jesus, and we're supposed to show mercy to people. That's the point of this whole thing. Now, th- now, the difference between mercy and grace is the mercy is we don't get what we deserve. 
We're sinners, we've done horrible things, and we, we should deserve to be punished for that stuff. We deserve that. There, every one of us in this room, there are things that we deserve to be punished for. There are things that we've done wrong. There's attitudes and mentalities, things we've said, people we've heard, all this kind of stuff. And mercy says, I'm not going to make you be punished for that. That's a pretty amazing thing that Jesus does there. And it's just a gift that he gives us. He says, you deserve hell, but I'm not going to give it to you. Because why? You're a disreputable sinners. But he's the cleaner, the changer, and the transformal transformer of reputable sinners. It's a pretty cool thing. So then we go to the next thing. He gives us also grace. Grace and mercy are not the same thing. Mercy is saying, I deserve to be punished, but I don't get punished. And then grace is the Lord's way of taking that mentality and even raising that even farther and saying, I'm also going to give you relationship and connection. I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to give you all the things that a holy God should never interact with humans on this earth with, ever. But grace says, I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to give you my blood and make you right. Not just I'm not going to punish you, but I'm, I'm going to go even farther and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you extra. I'm going to do things. And to me, the biggest one, I, I say this regularly, and, I, and I, I, sometimes I don't even grasp it myself how big this is. But the, the, for me, the most important thing that Jesus ever does for me is just want to be in relationship with me. That is, that is amazing to me because I know me and I know him and he's amazing and holy and transcendent and God above everything and he still chooses to interact with me. And then he includes things like you can talk to me, you can pray, you can boldly come into my throne room, you can do all this kind of stuff. And he does this because he loves us so much more than we could ever possibly imagine. And he gives us this grace. And as this baby is being born, he is including all of this stuff as part of the package of what we can have. It's not just a baby. It's not just a little baby. It's something much bigger. This is God in human flesh that is bringing things to the table that we can't get any other way. You, you don't get this through any other religion. You don't get this through any person. You don't get this through money. You don't get this through governments, nothing. And he gives this, this, this stuff as, as a package deal at the birth. And he says, now this is available for the entire planet. Every single person, every one of us in here had the opportunity to say, Jesus I want to serve you. You have the same opportunity to say, I don't want to serve you. I don't want this stuff. I don't want peace. I don't want grace. I don't want mercy. I don't want any. I choose to do this my own way. You can make that choice too. I made that choice. I made that choice for quite a few years. And then one day I'm like, why am I doing this? I started young, making really bad decisions. And so by the time I'm 18, I'm already uh, uh, been in, in the Navy and I'm in college. And I, and I, and I realize I don't want to keep living my life this way. It's horrible. It's bad decision after bad decision. And it's getting me in more problems emotionally, spiritually, relationally, all these things. And, and, I, and I, I literally, I turned to the Lord and I said, okay, God, I got to do this your way because I am sick and tired of doing it my way. I've had people say, well, I was 50 years old before I made that decision. Maybe you did much better than me. I, was, I figured out by the time I was 18, this is a bad idea that I'm calling life. But Jesus has a pretty amazing thing. He gives us grace. Acts chapter 14, the same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. There's something important about that, with such power. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time preaching boldly about the grace 
of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be speaking a lot more about this in the coming year. This uh, miraculous signs and wonders mentality. This is something that is part of the message. You cannot have a true uh, preaching of the, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the gospel of Jesus Christ without the supernatural, the miraculous being attached to it. Mark 16 says, go preach the gospel and these signs will follow. They will follow if you'll preach the gospel. They will be a part of this message. And this is something that the American church continues to get farther and farther away from. Even in the Pentecostal mentalities, we're getting farther and farther away from the reality that God is a supernatural God. And the way he confirms his message, his, the reality of who he is, is he does it with supernaturalness. In our hearts and our minds first, but then also in very physical ways around us. But, the, but, our, but our hesitancy with this is always based upon fear. We, we go to work and somebody says, um, somebody we've been witnessing to for a long time, and they say, well, I just heard from the doctor I've got cancer. Your response can, should be, well, let me tell you, this Jesus that I've been talking about, this Jesus that I serve is not just the head of a religion. He's the creator of everything. He's the power of everything, and he can heal your body right now. Let's pray. Let's pray. And then God heals them, and they come back the next day, and they say, hey, um, I'd really like to know more about this Jesus. That's the point of this. He's a miracle where he's a life changer. We see, we see miracles happen all the time in, in uh, Muslim countries by Muslims that are looking for the truth. And Jesus shows them himself and then does miracles, gives them visions and then does miracles. And we're seeing this more consistently, that that is the most common way for a Muslim to finally accept Jesus. A missionary's been talking to him, somebody's been, but they get a, they get a vision and God does a supernatural thing in their life. Guys, in, in America, where we have the gospel, we have access, we have books, we have teachings, we have everything, we have churches everywhere, we have worship everywhere, we have all this stuff, but we don't have the supernatural because we're missing the reality that it's intertwined, it's directly connected together. Grace was confirmed through miraculous signs and wonders. We should expect that, we should see it, not only in ourselves, but in other people. It's what he has done. The next thing is friendship. <clears throat> Again, I, I uh, picked on this a few weeks ago, and I, man, I got a lot of backlash from a lot of you. Um, the song, He is a Friend of God, I don't like that song. I like the message of the song. The message is theologically accurate. We're a friend of God. I just think it's a dumb written song. They wrote it dumb. I'm a friend of God. Guess what? Calls me friend. What, are you schizophrenic? You just said that. So, I don't know. But, but the theology is solid, Right? So get off my back. The theology is solid. Jesus can be our friend in a way that nobody else can. This is something I think most of us in here, and maybe not all of us, but hopefully, if, if not all of us, somewhere you take some steps and maybe open yourself up a little more to who he is. There are those moments in our lives when no one is there for us, no friends, no family, no nothing, and you need Jesus because he's it. There's nobody else. You ever been there? Raise your hand. You say, I've been there. I know what it is for Jesus to be the only one I can depend upon. The only one that's there. The only one that wraps his arms around me. Everything else seems missing or, or gone or something. That's an amazing thing because Jesus is amazingly big. And he never leaves you, never forsakes you. He's always going to be there. I always think of Psalms 91 where he says he's just going to wrap his wings around us, his feathers, and, and pull us in close. 
And then the rest of the chapter is him talking about what he protects us from. And all the, you know, a thousand will fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it won't come to you. Why? Because you're wrapped up underneath his wings. He's protecting you. Friend that sticks closer than a brother. But John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating and drinking wine, and you say he's possessed by demons. This is where these guys are picking on Jesus. They're picking on Jesus. No matter what he does, it's going to be the wrong decision. And that's what he's saying. He says, you say this, you say this, you do this. I can't win here. As a pastor, I understand this sometimes. There are certain things in my life. As Being a pastor, there's certain things that I'm not allowed to think or do or act or be that you can. You have freedom to choose certain things that I cannot choose. Okay? If, um, try to think of an example. Okay, if you, if, um, if you make lots of money and you go out and buy a very, very nice car, nobody's going to judge you for it. As a pastor, they'll judge you for that. Did you know that? They're like, I'm not going to that church. That guy has a Bentley. Now, where did I get a Bentley? I had to have embezzled something. I get that. But $250,000. But, but that's weird. I mean, I don't really think that way. Other pastors do. They'll get, they'll get nervous. They'll get scared. Well, I can't buy that car. I can't buy a, a Mercedes. People will judge me. And Jesus is saying, no matter what I do, you're going to judge me. No matter what happens, you're going to judge me. I get judged for my car, but I get judged because I am trying to be frugal and rebuild my Jeep, and my family won't let it go that I'm not a good mechanic. I'm trying. I'm giving it all I got. Okay, I got that out there. I'm sorry. I did that publicly. And so he says, For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard. How does he win? But then the next part of his sentence is cool. Look at this. He says, You say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. And Jesus is saying, Yeah, I'm a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. That's what I do. That's who I am. You actually don't realize you're defining me properly. That's who I am. I'm going to be hanging out with these people. If you don't like it, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be hanging out with these people. Why? Because I'm the doctor and they're sick. I'm the Savior and they're lost. I'm the Redeemer and they need to be pulled back into relationship. That's why I'm going to be hanging out with them. That's why I do what I do. And he's telling me through the process of this, He's telling me that he is my friend, too. If he's going to be a friend of tax collectors and disreputable sinners, he can be a friend of mine. And he'll embrace me. He'll wrap his arms around me in the process of this. Another thing that he gives us is miracles. And I've already touched on this, but I want to hone in on it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with his instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure with leprosy, cast out demons, give as freely as you have received. Do you realize what he does here? He says, I'm going to send you out, and this is what I want you to do. He does not say, I want you to go and pray for people and hope God does something. He uses a very strong, actionable words, and he says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and heal the sick. Not think about it, hope it happens, pray about it, and maybe God will do it or maybe he doesn't. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go heal the sick. And then he says, and I want you to go raise the dead. <clears throat> that's that's mind-boggling to me. He says, this is what I want you to do. And when they came back, they said, we did that stuff. 
In fact, one of the things they even said to him is when we got back, even the demons were subjected to us. We did what you asked us. We raised the dead. We healed the sick. I was in Africa one time, and um, about 25 years old, 26, somewhere around there, and and I uh, was over there with my father, and I was a missionary, and he had arranged for us to go preach in this uh, village. And so I was, I was excited to get there <clears throat> and for these people to hear the amazing wisdom and insight that I had that I could bring to them in their um, n- know-nothing village in Africa. And so I was excited that they were going to see me that day. And so we get to this little village, and there's a bench sitting outside this uh, little uh, like a building that they had built that they were going to have church in. And so as, as getting there, these are people that they wanted us to meet, the missionary, my father-in-law, and me as the speaker. They wanted us to meet these people because they, they, this was, God was doing some things. So they go down the line. They start talking. They introduce me. This is so-and-so, and, um, and he used to have one leg. And he's sitting there with two legs. And he's like, now <clears throat> I'm wanting to pause and ask questions about this. Was... This is so-and-so with one leg. Was that a nickname, or did he only have one leg? Because I see two legs. And then, <clears throat> but they just keep moving. They go, and this is the next guy, and he was blind. He's like, he's looking at me. They go all the way, and the, each one is amazing, super, and I'm just overwhelmed by this. They get to the end of the row, and the guy sitting at the end of the row, <clears throat> he says, and this is so-and-so, and he was dead. Now... We should talk. I need to know more information than just he was dead. Because they're like, he was dead. Okay, let's go. And I'm like, no, let's, let's talk. So I actually stopped him at that point. I had to ask a question. I'm like, what do you mean he was dead? He was dead for four days. Four days. And he's like, immediately, I realized I had nothing to say to these people. I had nothing to preach to these people. What was I going to tell them? Hey, in America, we don't really believe this stuff. I mean, we believe it, but not really. God doesn't give you legs and eyes and raise you from the dead. In America, we have Christianity. I don't know what you people have. The reality is they were letting Jesus Christ be Jesus. And in American Christianity, oftentimes we put him over to the side and we do church about him, but not with him, not for him. We do church about him. And then the very last part of this, he says, give as freely as you have received. In other words, every one of us in here, we have received this authority, this power to see supernatural things happen. We've received this. It's directly connected with the gospel. There is no gospel without supernaturalness. And I've, I've discussed and debated this with many pastors and missionaries over the years. No, the gospel message is this, that Jesus has saved us. No, it isn't. The gospel message is that the God of everything took on human flesh. That's supernatural. And he lived among us so we could see the glory of God. That's supernatural. And then he dies on the cross because he's without sin. That's supernatural. And he covers us with his blood, and that makes us right with God. That's supernatural. And he confirms it by doing some little miracles, like raising people from the dead. Which, by the way, is supernatural. This whole thing is supernatural. And he says, this is the gifts that I've given you. I've given you this stuff. Because you can't get this under a Christmas tree. It doesn't exist. These are the greatest, most miraculous things. And God's just trying to hand them to us daily. Saying, this is, this is for you. This is for you. 
Or do you want it? Do you, do you need it? Is it something that you're going to pursue? So here's the question. We had, we had you guys write some of these things down. And uh, you're already in the frame of thought that you need to be. Here's some of them. I'm not going to give your names because you didn't sign them. So <clears throat> this is what I'm going to give Jesus this year. I'm going to give him my heart, my time, and my faith. I'm going to get rid of sin. I'm going to give my life to him. I'm going to give him my time and my talent. He has given to me in order to accomplish the desires he has given me, including getting up at 5 a.m. without hitting the snooze and working with him. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm out. <laughs> but, it's, but it's different for all of us, right? I'm not a morning prayer person. I'm an, I'm an evening prayer person. I mean, I pray throughout the day, but I'm saying like my time is, um, well, I do pray in the shower too, but that's different. But my wife gets up like 4.35 every morning. She goes down, she has her devotion, her and the dog, and they pray and they talk to Jesus. And uh, I do that at night. I'm not, I'm not a 4.35 in the morning person. I'm not, but some of you are, right? Some of you are like, I don't know who they are, but they're here. Some of you are your morning people, okay. Some of you are evening people. Some of you are the crack of 2 o'clock in the afternoon people. Okay, whatever. But you can spend some time with the Lord. You can do this. Last one here is I'm going to give Jesus my family, my praise, and my worship for what he's done for me. Matthew chapter 22. See, here's the reality of what we give Jesus. You can't really give him stuff. What are you going to give him, your car? I've dedicated my cars to the Lord. But really, that's, there's a selfish reason for that. It's the same concept. This is the way I look at it. It's the same concept as the Israelites marching through the wilderness for 40 years, through the desert for 40 years. The Bible says that their shoes never wore out. That's why I dedicate my car to the Lord. It really is. I'm, it's selfish. God, I need this car to last longer than, than normally it would. I need it because I don't have money to get another one. So I need it. We just had, just a couple days ago, we, uh, Linda got a new Christmas present, an early one. Um, our washing machine blew up. Now, who plans for that at Christmas? You're tapped out. And so yesterday, it was like, Merry Christmas. New washing machine. Uh, it'll be delivered this afternoon. So, I mean, things like that happen, right? But see, according to Scripture, if I tithe, then the grapes in my life stay on the vine longer. That's what it says, which means your car lasts longer. That's what it means. And so that's, I dedicate my car, but I'm not giving my car to God. It's not like God's like, sweet, that's what I've been looking for, a .2 liter Honda CRV. That's, boy, whoo! All the ladies in town are driving them. So <clears throat> Jesus doesn't want, he doesn't want something from us. He doesn't want our house. He doesn't, he doesn't want, see, the only thing that you can truly give Jesus is yourself. You can only give him you. Time, energy, resources, all that are part of. But it's you. And I've had somebody say, no, you give him your tithe. Think through that for a second. You give him 10% of your, of your uh, income. So does that mean God's got a big bank in heaven that's taking earthly money? No. The reason that you tithe is a, is, a, is a relationship thing. It's an obedience thing. It's a subservient thing. It's God, you're in charge of my finances, so I give this 10% back to your kingdom. You're not giving him money. You're giving him you. You're giving him yourself. You're giving him your heart. It's purely a relational obedience thing. You're giving him you. 
it, it is quantified by 10% to see if that obedience is legit. But you're giving him you. You can't, you can't give the Lord anything else. Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything. That's the point of this. It's you. They bring Jesus gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I, Jesus says, I'm going to give you all kinds of stuff. I'm going to give you blessings and grace and mercy and love and peace. I'm going to give you so much stuff. But what I want from you is one thing, you. That's why when we say things like um, uh, the free gift of salvation, it's true, it's a free gift, except it demands you in return. You cannot, you cannot, listen, this is important, you cannot be saved unless you've given yourself back to him. Saved is not a one-way street. He doesn't give you salvation and you just are ambiguous, neutral. You've got to give yourself to him. And that's, the, the, that's, what, that's why we call it a covenant. And we give him yourself. So bow your heads with me. And I want us to pray about this. <clears throat> and basically, we're just going to ask Jesus to be in charge of us. That's the point of this. And some of you, it may be the very first time, some of you, it may be, Lord, I just, I really need to revisit this. I've been getting lazy about relationship with you, and I just want to give you me this year. I just want to be all in, all in with you. God, we commit ourselves right now to you. Jesus, I need you. I need you more than anything. I need you. And Lord, you give so much. You give grace and you give peace, love and mercy. Jesus, I just want you. Lord, I know those things come with you, but Lord, I just want you. All right, everybody in this building, bless them right now. Just let them know that you're here. Let them know that, you, that they can make this decision and talk to you the same way. And I choose you. Just ask him, guys. Lord, I need you. Be in charge of me. I need you to be in charge, God, over my life. And then just commit to him. Lord, I give you me. This coming year, I give you me. More than anything else, I give you me. My heart completely. My mind completely. My body completely. I give you me. In Jesus' name. Why don't you stand with me? And uh, we're gonna we're gonna finish this out by singing this song um, along with Sam as he uh, leads us in this. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The thrill of hope.
rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O oh, We thank you because you're amazing, God. 
the transcendent one. You're the everything. And Jesus, we, we, we want to do the best we can to acknowledge you and honor you. God, we give you us for Christmas. We give you Christmas back to you, Lord. We want it to be about you. We want it to be about your entering into this world. God, we thank you for your amazingness. We thank you. So before noon, on Christmas Day, you got less time now. Before noon on Christmas Day, God's going to give you a chance to tell somebody about Jesus. He's going to give you the opportunity to share his grace, his mercy, his peace, his love. He's going to give you the chance, so do the best you can and take it. And uh, God will honor that in your life. If you can be here with us Christmas Eve, great. If not, have a great Christmas. We will see you next weekend.